Can we re-edit that? You're going to sound like an idiot in front of all your Seattle Seahawks fans. That's okay. Leave it. Welcome to Joe Picks an NFL Team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 NFL teams to find out who he should root for next season. For the second half of our doubleheader, it's late at night, we're a few drinks in, but for the second half of our doubleheader, we're going to travel deep into the Pacific Northwest to a mysterious place, which also happens to be the place where you are located right now, Seattle. Your resident, I don't know if it's your hometown team, it's your... It's my occupied territory team. Your occupied territory. You've, you've put down your roots in Seattle. This is the team that happens to be the place where you live. Joe, how are you feeling for the second half of this doubleheader? Quite honestly, Dan, this is probably our biggest episode since we did the LA Chargers. This is big. The number one question I hear is, why not remain a Charger fan? The number two is, if you live in Seattle, why not just root for the Seahawks? Well, my response is, Seahawks need to go through the process like everybody else. Go through the process. It's a process. Get in line, Seahawks. And now their time has come. But before we get into the Seahawks, we, of course, have to figure out with what we're drinking. And I will note, you've picked a drink that I could not find in San Francisco. It's so local to Seattle. Dan. What are you drinking? This is the clear answer. If I... Walked out on the street right well, okay, not right now. It's eleven forty. If I walked out on the street in an appropriate time and asked ten Seahawk fans what drink should be like the drink of the Seahawks if I'm having a drink for every NFL team, I guarantee you all ten out of ten would say Rainier beer. And not just Rainier beer, they would specify a Rainier tall boy. tall boy. So that is what we're drinking today. Well, that's what you're drinking today. Open it right now. Ooh, that's nice. But you Dan, know, I will have one waiting for you in the fridge when you come up to Seattle. But I do have some information about Rainier beer. Let's hear and it. why it is so iconic. So uh, founded in 1878, it was the first beer ever brewed in, in Seattle and in the Pacific Northwest. Sorry, dating back all the way to 1854, it started as the Washington Brewery, which was Seattle's first commercial brewing company. It survived the Prohibition era by producing a variety of different non-alcoholic products. And most notably has a very iconic headquarters with a giant R right off I-5 and very close to my office. Interesting. Now, Joe, as a resident of Seattle, I'm going to ask you some facts about Seattle. So as just, just within the city limits of Seattle, what rank in the United States do you think Seattle is in terms of biggest city? Just within the city limits. So this isn't counting the metropolitan area. And just guess. All you have to do is guess within five. Just actual Seattle, Washington. Correct. So I know that our population is, I mean, somewhere in the 500 to 700, maybe five, five to 600 range. I am going to guess 21st. Joe, you're right. I mean, it's not 21st, but you're within five. You're 18th, but that's good. Nice. You're already off to a good nice. start. You always get it wrong. Your population is, as of 2015, 684,000. You were wrong about that, but you're close enough in your estimation. All right, Joe. So we've got that random aside. We write again to fan mail here. Let's do it. Yeah, what are the fans saying? 
I didn't mention the first podcast because our mailbag was so overflowing. But of course, if you have feedback about the two episodes we've recorded today in the double header, or you want to talk about the team we're doing in our next podcast, which spoiler alert is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals, which is Superfan Tony's home team. Send your feedback about either of these two episodes or about the Cincinnati Bengals to NFL at JoePicksPod.com. Our first fan feedback was what I would call generously a manifesto or she called an essay. Screed, maybe. Screed. It was long. It's abridged for time. You might want to call it a novella. Novella, definitely a novella from your good friend, Aaron, who was at the fantasy football draft, which I eventually won. Yeah, in our fantasy league and also has the indignity of being married to Rob. That's true. She says, I'm writing as a concerned friend. My thesis here is that only relationships or community are worthy of your loyalty. While the other categories are amusing to analyze and hear about. Oh, amusing. That's for, thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Joe should only pick based on community. Now, for the listeners, this is paragraph one of what I've bridged into about four or five paragraphs. But see if you can figure out what she's trying to propose here. We'll all d- discuss this in sort of a, a book group at the end. My first, the first support being that when talking about a team, we are really just talking about a brand and a city here. Besides the logo, ownership, and the location, all else could easily change at any moment. If you love your star quarterback one day, the very next year, he could be playing for your rival team. The same with coaches. The second supposition is that you are talking about loyalty, true loyalty. When you talk of choosing a team like... 10 plus years, not just being a Fairweather fan, true loyalty while having its high moments also has its some annoyances, inconveniences, frustrations that it brings along. As a married person, you know what I'm saying. If it were easy to be truly loyal, there would be a 0% divorce rate. Though honestly, my sister would not let you divorce her. (laughs) You could try, Joe. It wouldn't work out. But from Aaron's perspective, I imagine there are a lot of annoyances being married to Rob. That's true. This is why you're taking your decision seriously. Of course you are. Besides community, sometimes team loyalty is connected more to your relationships than your love for that city or region. There are many people who love a team because someone important to that team loves or supports that team. Rather than spend the time and effort and endure the inconvenience and annoyance of real loyalty for a random team that really is nothing more than a brand and a place, choose a team that represents a community or a people that are a part of you. That is what Aaron is writing to you as a concerned friend. I'm sort of reading between the lines here. And and first of all, I'll cut out like 85% of what she wrote. But I I believe she is saying, Joe, that you have chosen to live in Seattle. You are a part of the community. In fact, if I know this correctly, your good friend, Pramila Jayapal, is actually in the United States Congress right now. Representing one of the districts in the city of Seattle. You're a part of the community of Seattle. 
why not root for the community you have chosen to be a part of? Who gives a shit about all this stuff we're talking about? It's just frivolity, Joe. Well, Aaron, I appreciate that perspective. And I think, you know, Aaron makes a very good argument that my 12 categories could get boiled down to just a few things. However, what I would say is that I think our categories, most of them, not all of them, are really designed to consider other things about the team other than the brand and the community that they're from, which Aaron kind of boils down as the two aspects of a team. I think our theory of this podcast is actually that there are more than those two things that make the team the team, that actually fan bases do have a culture beyond five years, 10 years, even 20 years, that that fan base will have something in common with the fan base from 30 years ago because there is fan culture, that you know there are certain things to like or not like about a city, and that ownership is also something that rarely changes. You know, NFL owners tend not to want to sell their team. It happens, of course, but it's rare. So we are looking at things other than, I think, community and relationships that are somewhat immutable. So, and I would also say that I am thinking about my relationships. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to root for a team that Rob roots for. That is maybe the opposite of what Aaron meant, that I should root for teams that people I like do root for. But you know, I'm thinking about not wanting to root alongside Rob, and that that's a valid relationship to think about. If I could interject, I think one thing that she misses here in this rant or this uh, manifesto. Novella. This is novella. I have chosen to live in San Francisco. I love San Francisco. This is where I imagine I will live probably the rest of my life, if not my uh, future, I don't know, 10 years or something. I fucking hate the San Francisco 49ers. Like, my team hasn't abandoned me. But, like, I love the Golden State Warriors, though. Teams, it's it's not just about the community I'm in. I, I know, because I walk around town, there are people who are 49er fans. Like, the Venn diagram of 49er fans and Warriors fans is quite high. I like the Warriors. I like the team. I like the way they play. I like their ownership. I don't like the 49ers. I don't like that they moved their stadium to Santa Clara. I think she's missing that there is sort of a character of a team that I think it's sort of, it's a self-perpetuating thing. And it's not just about the location. I think you can, what you're obviously a very large Sounders fan. I've been to, you, you used to have Sounders season tickets. Absolutely. I know yeah. you love the Sounders. I know you root for the Sounders. But that does, just because you root for one team doesn't mean you have to root for every Seattle team. Right. And if the Washington football club became the Austin football club and abandoned you, you would not become a San Francisco 49ers. Or you may be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would become a fan of somebody. But much like you, I, I imagine would, we'd be doing I Dan Pixar NFL team. Right. To do it. I mean, I would be in the exact same boat as you. I would do it. I would want to be thoughtful about it, and I would want to pick a team. We can only hope that happens so we actually have a season two. Well, if Dan Snyder moves a team, that would be great because we'll get a new team with a non-Dan Snyder. Okay. I've talked too long about this. Thank you, Aaron, for your feedback. Great feedback. Joe, you are a part of the Seattle community, and as we go through the rankings, you're obviously not going to forget that you're part of the Seattle community. But from what I understand, and having been to Seattle a week and a half ago, 
I don't think you're going anywhere. I think you're pretty no. ingrained in the And it's going to be Seattle a huge community. factor in my decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And now we've heard Aaron. She never mentioned that you should be a Seattle fan directly, but she indirectly was sort of telling you, choose the place that your community of. But now your friend Karsten, who we know to be a Dallas Cowboys fan, has sent his own email. All right. Let's hear it, Karsten. Karsten says... The Seahawks are the second most annoying fan base in the NFL after Philly. <laughs> they call themselves 12s. Yep. They stole the 12th man from Texas A&M. It's not even remotely original. They are obsessed with the notion that they are the loudest fans. The stadium yep. is engineered to redirect sound towards the field. Don't get me wrong. That's brilliant. But it is not some feat of the fans. They don't have stronger vocal cords than other fans or something ridiculous like that. They cause earthquakes. Okay, cool. Again, this is more so because of where the stadium is built and the geological nature of the Puget Sound area. I mean, it is a pretty nominal seismic activity that registers. Is this true? What is he even talking about? When Marshawn Lynch had that incredible run in the beast the mode game, run, yeah, the beast mode run where it was just—I mean, he he should have gone down eight different times. This is lore, but I, but I think it was actually true. The cheer was so loud that it actually registered as seismic activity in like the nearby earthquake monitoring site or whatever. <laughs> and he continues, but why would you be happy about creating seismic activity in an area in an area that is liable to brace pretty serious destruction from an earthquake? Well, that's are a they good point, trying actually. to break down the viaduct? Early? The viaduct is going to come down. Idiot, strong earthquake. That is a very good point. They may be happy as fans, but it's dangerous. His final note, it's not as clever as Tom Eaton's robot thing. And Tom Eaton right now has the like... The line of all emails. He has the number one as best quip that's been emailed to us this far. If you think Matt Ryan is a robot, what about Russell Wilson? He is the most bland, generic sounding player on the Seahawks. He reportedly started practicing his press conferences in high school. And he's got some supporting evidence. He sent me three news articles, which I did not read, but I'll read you the headlines to them. First one, Russell Wilson doubles down on claims that his water prevents concussions. Number two, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think God cares about football game outcomes. I assume that's because Russell Hustle Bustle Wilson is quite religious. Number three, Seahawks delete MLK tweet of crying Russell Wilson. I actually have no idea what that's referencing. But yeah, I don't know what that last one is. <laughs> Karsten is really... We've got Aaron talking about you being a part of community. And Karsten... Some deep cuts from Karsten. Karsten has, has really... He's brought up the negatives of the team. And Karsten, thank you. Thank you, thank you. That's what we want from the mailbag. We want... Both perspectives and, and Karsten, a battle of ideas from Karsten and, and Aaron. I feel like Karsten, he lives in Seattle. Yes. Yep. Yep. As a Dallas fan in Seattle, he's the perfect person to be able to deconstruct exactly what he hates about the fan. Yes. Great work, Karsten. Great work. Thank you, Aaron. Also. And Joe, I, do we have some fan feedback? Or are we ready to go? We do. No, we have some fan feedback. So from our, not from Reddit from our actually dan our itunes customer ratings 
Wait, but we tell people don't review the podcast. We explicitly say we want emails, not reviews. If you're listening, email in. Don't review us. Well, wait. Should we now start asking for people to email and also review us, Joe? No, that's okay. Because we haven't gotten on that like featured list. All right. Rate us. Don't give us a one star like this gentleman did. Okay. One star review, Joe. Oh, no. This is from our friend TDs. I don't know what that stands for. The headline for his review is awful, awful, awful. And he says, these guys have strong opinions about the NFL. The only problem, they don't know anything. Oh, no. One of them mentions that he does, quote, research. Is that me? But that, but then doesn't know much about said topic. Ouch. Was this review helpful? No. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait until Super Fan Tony comes on the podcast. He knows more about the NFL and his pinky yeah, than I know going to I've be ever an, known. An outcry for, for the Tony pod. I'm not even doing any research for the Bengals. I don't need to. Tony knows everything. But we appreciate that review, Jerkwad, whoever that was. Thank you for listening. I think we have mostly five-star reviews, though. Absolutely. We don't even care. Okay, fuck the reviews. We love email the emails. Us. Email us. That's all we care about. All right, number one, don't want a team that's too good or too bad. The Seattle Seahawks have the highest Super Bowl odds of any team we've covered so far at 10 to 1. It's the third best of any team. We've had a couple teams that were tied for fourth best, including the Cowboys, but the Seahawks are a cut above. They have won one Super Bowl in their history, and that Super Bowl was in 2013, which was one of the largest blowouts in Super Bowl history when they crushed Peyton Manning's Broncos. In the past 10 years, Joe, win percentage, top third, middle third, bottom third. I think top third. Playoff wins. Top third, middle third, bottom third. Top third. Made the playoffs. Top third, middle third, bottom third. Top third. Joe, 100%. Three for three. Yes. In fact, I was so easy, I almost considered making true or false questions, but their win percentage, 55.9%, ninth best. But that's the worst of the three categories. This is where they really shine. Playoff wins, 10. Yeah. Which is tied for second best of course behind the fucking patriots who we all hate and made playoffs is so interesting in the past 10 years they've made the playoffs seven times which is tied for third they've made the playoffs in six of the last seven years they have won a playoff game in six of the last seven years every time they've made the playoffs in the last seven years other than the time they didn't. They've won a game. It's amazing. They are even when they were seven and nine, they yeah. won the playoff game. They right. I remember that. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks, and I think one of the reasons they've got the third best Super Bowl odds are they're a team. They're sort of the team that I sort of wish every team, like the Capitals, a team I'm rooting for and watching the playoff games right now. They won the President's Cup the best record in the NHL. And I think they've won it multiple times in the past five years. But they always choke in the playoffs. Right, right. 
The Seahawks are the opposite. They're a team that's just like, just get through the regular season, get in any playoff spot, just get in any of the six playoff slots, which they've done six out of the last seven years, and then we're a playoff team. And I personally love that. I love it's a team that everybody's afraid to play in the playoffs. It's like an even more um, extreme version of what we just talked about in the last episode with the Giants of like, just be good enough to get in and then you can go on a run. But the difference between the Giants is the Giants are like, they win no games or win every game. The Seahawks always win. I mean, every time the Seahawks have made the playoffs, they've won their first game. They're going to win at least one game. Yeah. And I think two of those have been against the Washington Football Club too. Some of them in in heartbreaking fashion in the... uh, Hasselback era. So, Joe, that's the information. They're the third best team by Super Bowl odds. They're the team, the city you live in. You've been to Quest Field many times. You have been around Seahawks fans quite often as they make their various playoffs runs because you've lived in Seattle, I believe, for for what, 10 years or seven years? Uh, yeah, no, uh, 10 years now. So, you've seen this uh, renaissance yep. in Seattle. So what do you what, what do you think? Too good, too bad? What do you give them? Well, I mean, I think one of my biggest concerns with the Seahawks overall is that they're too good. I think that's been like probably my biggest barrier to rooting for them. That I was here, I watched the Super Bowl with a bunch of friends when they won it. I watched it with a bunch of friends when they lost it too. Um, and when they won it, I was excited and excited for you know people i like and care about and they were happy but it didn't feel like my victory now at that time i still was a charger fan i had the chargers so theoretically i could feel great about it if they won with me as a seahawk fan but i do feel like that excitement of winning for the first time or even winning for the first time in a while it was their first super bowl yeah no but i mean for for other teams where, you know, maybe they won it, but it's been a generation since they won it. Yeah. There's an excitement when you have that breakthrough. Definitely. Seattle's had that breakthrough. And of course, they were in the Super Bowl the very next year. Right. And if they win it again, it will sort of still just be a continuation of that same dynasty. Definitely. But the first one's always the most special. And I would, I think as a fan, always feel like I'd missed out on that moment. So I do worry that they're too good and that a victory would feel a little bit hollow. And so this first score is going to be a little bit low. I don't want Aaron to be upset. Um, but I think they'll make a comeback later. But I think uh, it's going to be a 3 out of 10. 3 out of 10. I think it's fair. I, I think in the too good, too bad, to our point about the Giants, if the Giants win the Super Bowl, I don't think it would create that much of an emotional reaction among the fans. And... If the Seahawks won, I mean, obviously the fans are going to be excited to win, but I, it's it's it wouldn't be what it was like bef- what it was like three years ago. What you witnessed three years ago right, would right. not be the same again. I'll say the same thing I said about the Giants, unless they beat the Patriots. <laughs> well, I think anybody beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl automatically makes it way better. Number two, what do you think about the division? So this is. I'm I'm not exactly sure if it's the only division we haven't covered, but it might be. But it's a new division, Joe. Yeah, I think this is our first. I think this is our first time not. Or I think this, this is our last new division. 
So the NFC West, which has the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, formerly the St. Louis Rams, and the Seattle Seahawks. So in the past 15 years, this division has sent five teams to the Super Bowl, but they only have one Super Bowl winner which is the Seahawks in 2013. Mm. So they sent the Seahawks to the Super Bowl in 2005. They lost to the Steelers in that horribly, horribly officiated game. This division sent the Cardinals to the Super Bowl, who lost to the Steelers again in 2008, based on that fucking ridiculous James Harrison 99-yard recovery. They sent the 49ers to the Super Bowl in 2012 who lost to the Ravens in the great power outage game. They had first the and, they yeah. had first and goal at the eight-yard line and couldn't get it in. Sent the Seahawks in 2013, who blew out the Broncos by like 8,000 points. And sent the Seahawks again in 2014, who lost to the Patriots because they didn't run the ball at the one-yard line. In the past 10 years, it's a relatively balanced division as far as they go. The Seahawks have won five. The Cardinals have won three. The 49ers have won two. And in the past five years, the 49ers, Cardinals, and Seahawks have all won. The Rams, on the other hand, have been completely inept. They last won the division, I believe, in 2003. They haven't made the playoffs since 2004. But they're sort of a weird team in that four out of the last six years, they've won seven games. So it's not like they're terrible. They just, like, always win enough games to be respectable, but they never actually are any good. Like, they they haven't won the division in the last 10 years. I I mean, in more than that. Yeah. But it's a very interesting division. I I think certainly the Cardinals are on the decline in the 49ers. I I think this division was the most interesting division in football three years ago. Now, the 49ers are a joke, and I think the Cardinals are... um, a little bit of a joke. I I, I think the C, it, it's a Seahawks division this year, but um, it's been interesting in the past. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying was exactly my thought on it is, and we really haven't talked about this much, is this category thinking about the division as like historically, how competitive has it been and how good has it been? Or is it a snapshot of right now? Because I think if you take a snapshot of the NFC West right now, it's not great. It's not good. The Rams are terrible. 49ers are terrible. And I think the even when the Cardinals are good, they're boring, but they're just always underachieving from where they maybe should be. So it's just a really weak division right now. And one where the Seahawks rival, San Francisco, is really bad. And it's more fun when your rival is actually decent than when they're bad. So uh, this division is not great. I'll say, as somebody who roots for a team, I would love to be in the Seahawks position where you're like guaranteed to get in the playoffs when all three teams are terrible. But to your point, it's like your division. I think the Rams, the Rams always seem to play the Seahawks tough, but it's not going to be like if the Washington Football Clubs beats the Cowboys, that's going to be like really exciting for me. Right. Like if the Seahawks beat these three teams, they're just taking care of business. And I mean, as as a fan of a team, you have to suffer through a lot of your your division rivals games because you want to know, you know, 
if an Arizona Cardinal game has playoff implications for the Seahawks, which it often does, I'm going to have to be watching a lot of Cardinals too. So you you do have to have some buy-in to these teams that you end up watching a lot of, even if that buy-in is hatred. And it's hard to hate teams that are so bad right now. Yeah. It's not a great I mean, division. the Cardinals aren't terrible. It's just like... Yeah, I think it's a rough division. But I do think, you know, like you said, it's been really interesting in the past. I mean, this division... I mean, they sent three straight teams to the Super Bowl in... 2012, 2013, and 2014. 49ers and the Seahawks twice, which is, I mean, that 49ers-Seahawks rivalry for, I think, those three years was the best rivalry in the NFL. But but that was three years ago. Now, of course, as a Charger fan, I, I think it's worth noting that the Seahawks were shuffled not just into a different division, but into a different conference when they moved from being an AFC West team to an NFC West team when the league expanded to 32 teams. Interesting. So the Seahawks actually were in the AFC West and were sort of like the, if the Broncos and the Raiders had a strong rivalry, it was always supposed to be the Seattle-San Diego rivalry, which never really was a thing. So as I think about this division, it almost this division almost requires San Francisco to be good, to be interesting. Which they are not. Which they are not right now. Uh, yeah, it's a tough division. Um, four out of ten. Four out of ten, and I, and the, you know the thing is, it's like three years ago, they're ten out of ten. Right. I honestly, I honestly would have scored it lower if it weren't for the the recent history of that divi- of the division being decent. I mean, those Forty Nine ers Seahawks teams were really something to behold. I mean, uh, Richard Sherman jawing against Michael Crabtree. All right, number three, does the head coach meet a minimum threshold of competence? Now we are finally to a place that's near and dear to my heart. And as much as I love Pete Carroll, and I've got a little email from Superfan Tony, and I personally have things to say about Pete Carroll, I'm just going to start with Roto World. Roto World ranks Pete Carroll as the number two head coach in the National Football League. The NFL's oldest head coach has won at least 10 games in five straight seasons. He's notched a playoff victory six out of seven years in Seattle. Pete Carroll is no Bill Belichick, but he's the next best thing. A wacky West Coast version of Belichick's brooding Buddha, Carroll keeps a looser vibe, letting his players be themselves, flying in the face of NFL orthodoxy. This has not thrown the Seahawks off their axis and instead proved to be a strength. Long known for his dominant defenses, Carroll has also overseen top 10 offenses for the past five seasons. For as freewheeling as they seem, Carroll's teams boast a fundamental soundness that is increasingly rare. Carroll is a more balanced John Harbaugh, a more cutthroat Andy Reid. He is the NFL's best coach (laughs) who doesn't wear a cutoff hoodie. Obviously, Pete Carroll was the head coach of the USC Trojans when both Super Fantoni and myself were students at USC. We love Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is an aggressive head coach. He's not afraid to take risks. He's uh, He was, when Paul Allen hired him, people were like, oh, he's just a failed NFL coach who, who had to go back to college. Right, but no. Right. Pete Carroll, I mean, people forget that Bill Belichick had an unsuccessful stint in Cleveland before he became so successful with the Patriots. You know, there's a learning curve in the NFL, 
And Pete Carroll learned from his first stint in the Patriots. He goes to USC, turns USC from sort of a floundering franchise into an absolute dominant force. He almost had the three-peat, the three-peat, but fucking Vince Young ruined that and and (laughs) bad officiating. Well, I mean, technically, does he have any of those titles anymore? (laughs) Well, who gives a fuck? When... When he left to go to the uh, NFL, I remember some people like, oh, Pete Carroll's just skating after these NCAA things. Fuck the NCAA. Like, Pete Carroll, I guarantee you, every USC fan who was a USC student with me fucking loves Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll didn't, give, Pete Carroll didn't like, give up on anything. Pete Carroll did nothing wrong. His form of protest was in a more nuanced way, but there's no reason to fight the NCAA. You're fighting a corrupt organization. Just move to the pros where it's a... And, and for all the the point about amateur athletes and whatever, professional football is actually a much like fairer playing field where there are actually rules that are defined and actually owners who sort of try to keep these rules consistent, unlike the NCAA, which can do whatever the hell he wants. Well, and also, I mean, he had the last laugh. He won a Super Bowl and has made millions of dollars. Right? It's not so. the millions of dollars. He's been People are like, oh, he's just jumping the NFL. And when Paul, and he's been great. And uh, let's just get right into Superfan Tony's email. Obviously, Pete will get an automatic 11 for being awesome. <laughs> but even back in the day, there were these stories about him just going to the projects in LA and hanging out with gangsters. I will quote from the article in the LA Times. Few know that about twice a month, Pete Carroll leaves his comfy digs at USC, hops in the back of a beaten Camry driven by a former gang member and heads to the South LA neighborhoods where the snap of gunfire and anguish of death occurs with the steady regularity of a metronome. Well, I'll just note, I don't like that characterization of L.A. I think people... It's very poetic, though. Well, I think people... I'm not dismissing there was a lot of violence in these communities, but people... Like, this creates a, like, if you walk through these communities, you're going to get shot. Not to say I'm a very charitable person in general, but as part of USC, we did, like, technology, like, charity projects in places like this, and it's like... They're just normal, nice people. I, I mean, obviously, there's higher degrees of violence, but it's it's not like any person walks there, you're going to get shot. It's, But anyways. So the gunshots weren't blasting by your head at the speed of a metronome? Or- they, were, they were not. <laughs> These are not recruiting visits. He's trying to save lives. Most often, he arrives near midnight and walks shadowy streets with that familiar electric strut surrounded. He does have a strut to him. Surrounded by little boys, grandparents, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to read the rest of this, but it's like, it's too, uh, I won't read the rest of this, that sentence, I don't like it, but he emphasizes, listen, encourages, laughs, he talks about jobs and kids and marriage and perspective and courage and how difficult it must be to call in the madness of the streets. So Pete Carroll, for no, you know, he wasn't paid to do that, he just wants to connect and help the community. Yeah, he, he is around Seattle. And the Seattle area, um, like this is, I mean, a far cry from South Central LA, but I've seen him like running around Green Lake. Like he's just like around town. So, you know, he definitely, I don't know where he lives um, or how much like he actually spends time in the Pacific Northwest during the off season, but he's definitely a pre- present in the community. But uh, look, that's all 
that's all extra information because this category is all about competence. If you don't give Pete Carroll a 10 out of 10, I'm going to be very upset. Pete well, Carroll no, hold on is hold on fucking though, awesome. If it's about competence, I mean, did call that play on the one yard line. I think it was, I, I, his, his rationale behind the play, I think was right. It doesn't get marked down at all. He could have had two. He has Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. I think he was like, well, they know run we're going to run it. They sold out for the run. Let's just do the slant. It's a gimme. Like, look, cool. if you want to ding him a point or a half a point for that, do what you want to do. Be very shallow. But I'm just saying that's a big mistake. I mean, in retrospect, everything's look. If if that slant pass is completed, people are going to be like, Bill Belichick's the dumbest idiot in history for not calling a timeout when there are 40 seconds left. I mean, this is the thing you do. You play a game. You you have to pick plays. Sometimes the results go your way. Sometimes they don't. I would love Pete Carroll. Like, in a second, if you could say, I could trade Jake Rudin, who, frankly, I don't really have that much of a problem with, but the only two coaches I would be like, I would instantly trade for would be Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. No, you're right. It is a good test. If you were a fan of any other team, would you take X coach over your coach and let's say give up a first round draft pick for that coach? And I think certainly the answer is yes for Pete Carroll. He's worth it. Nine and a half. I mean, all right, nine and a half. I'll give it to you. Half a point off. Well, we'll save the 10 for Bill Belichick. Just, just to upset Tony. The evil mastermind. Okay, number four, do the players get in trouble with the law? Joe, middle third, bottom third, top third. I live here. I think they're all right, bottom third. Okay, you're wrong. They're top Damn third. It. They get in oh, well. trouble a lot. Whoa, whoa. So the Seattle Seahawks have had nine incidents the past five years, which is 25th uh, in the league, as mo- you know, 25th most. And they've had 25 in the past 15 years, which is 22nd most, both in the top third. They've had the fourth most DUIs in the crime blotter. In fact, they they get a lot of DUIs. 11 out of their 25 incidents are DUIs. So uh, their player highlight is Leroy Hill. He played 97 games as a Seahawk. He was drafted by the Seahawks, played for them for, I believe, six or seven seasons. And during that time, as a Seahawk, he had the following incidents. In January 2009, he was arrested for marijuana possession after police found him passed out behind the wheel of his car in an intersection. You know, take with that what you will for marijuana possession, but it's something. On April 11, 2010, he was arrested on suspicion of domestic abuse in Issaquah, Washington, when he allegedly hit his girlfriend, leaving obvious injuries, according to the Issaquah Police Department. On February 24, 2012, he was arrested on possession of marijuana charge after a search warrant was served at his residence. The charges were eventually dropped, but he had many incidents. At every one of these incidents, he was on the Seahawks, supported by the Seahawks. And again, I'm not saying that obviously the marijuana possession stuff is like bullshit. Like, I'm glad the Seahawks support him during that, but he has domestic abuse incidents. Seahawks don't care. Yeah. Seahawks get a Seahawks of the 32 teams in the league. The Seahawks get the fourth most DUIs. They could, they could do better. I would say. I'm going to say this once again, because I know not everyone listens to every episode. Why the NFL does not just hire drivers for every player. The amount of money in this league, just hire them a fucking driver. Yeah. 
It's insane. Um, all right. Well, that's not great, Dan. Two out of ten. Two out of ten. Can't number five. Can't root for a team Rob roots for. Ugh, this is really this is this is not going well for the Seahawks. So uh, Rob lists the Seahawks as his number two favorite team. Whoa! And he says, "So Rob, obviously Green Bay Packer fan. Well, Aaron must be a Seahawks fan." Yes, and I'll read you what Rob says. Rob says. I'm contractually obligated to be a Seahawks fan. My nine-month pregnant wife made it a condition for me to be able to have the right to pick a name for our child, a middle name, with conditions. Is that how names should be bartered for, Joe? I don't know. I don't have any children. I'm actually a little concerned about their relationship after reading that. Um, (laughs) No. First of all, it's not a great way to name children. Secondly, I will say Rob lists them as his second favorite team, but seems to be doing so just very begrudgingly. I don't know how much he actually likes the Seahawks and how much he's just fulfilling some promise that he made. You have to read. Well, I think if it was fulfilling a promise, he would have put them lower. Or do you think she's looking at his text messages? Well, I mean, we know she's listening to the podcast. I think Rob has been like blackmailed into picking this team. Look, no, obviously, Rob really likes this team. It's going to be low on the ranking. It's not his favorite team. And I do think there's some like, I, I can I can hear some duress in his voice. Um, but uh, two out of ten. situation. Two out of ten. Boy, Seahawks are. I, I'm rooting for the Seahawks here. I feel like they're going to make a comeback. I'm sure. All right. Number six. Is it a city you would enjoy visiting to go to a game? How much do we have to talk about this? Well, Joe. Before you give it a 10 out of 10, I'm going to go through the TripAdvisor top 10 and see, have you visited all these places? Because I've actually actually visited quite a few of these. So I've visited some of these with you. Okay, let's go. Let's hear them. The Chihuly Garden and Glass. Chihuly, yeah. Beautiful. The Museum of Flight. Yep. We we went to the Chihuly Garden of Glass together. I know I went with that, but I've never been to the Museum of Flight. Oh, next time you come up, we'll go. Washington State Ferry. Yeah. Pike Place Market. I've been there with you. Yeah. Safeco Field. Have you seen a Mariners yes. game? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Cary Park. What's that? Who? Cary Park. Never heard of it. I don't that's know. It's number not a, six. That's not a real place. It's, it's just fake. Yeah. It's just, just a bait tourist in. Exactly. The Sky View Observatory. Is that is that the top of the Space Needle or no. top of, top of Columbia Tower? Does it say? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I mean, I've been to the top of the Space Needle, but okay. I don't well, number Ace about. is a Space Needle, so you got that. Okay. Okay. Benaroya Hall. Benaroya Hall. Yeah, we went there. Uh, we saw an opera there. Ooh, the yeah. Hiram M. Chittenden Hi- Locks. Hiram A. Chittendale. <laughs> M. Chittendale locks. Yeah, that's right near our house. You've been there too, I think. That's where the salmon, the salmon ladders. You've been there. I've never been there. But anyways, oh, okay. so that's eight out of ten, Joe. So so you're you've hit eight out of the ten top in TripAdvisor. And one of them is not real, so <laughs> what do you give it, Joe? Would you enjoy going to a game? Would you enjoy getting on the link, hopping down to Sodo or I mean or dough? <laughs> You somehow mispronounce an incredibly simple word. Sodo? 
Yeah, you're 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 putting the emphasis in the wrong place. What is it? It's Soto, like like soda, but with an O. Oh, whatever. I we'll let the listeners decide. A couple things. First of all, I live in Seattle. I also love living in Seattle, so that's easy. Secondly, I've been to Seahawks games, and all due respect to Karsten and his point about the engineering, the Seahawks games are fucking loud. I mean, we'll talk about it more with fan culture, but it is a lot of fun to go to a Seahawks game. 10 out of 10. Home cooking, Joe. Home cooking. Number seven, does the team have player or players you could put on a fantasy roster? Mm. So I would wow. say interesting. I, I would say this was a bit of an off year for this category. Russell Hustle Bustle Wilson, 14th best quarterback. Uh he had 21 passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Not very good numbers. I mean, compared to I think Aaron Rodgers had 40 passing touchdowns. I mean, 21 passing TDs. That's averaging a little over one a game. He he didn't run as much this year. I mean, he was recovering from an injury, but it, Russell Wilson, you know, he's a backup quarterback, but he's he's not a starter. Doug Baldwin, 10th best wide receiver, absolutely playable. 94 catches, 1128 yards, 7 TDs. Very playable. He's he's not going to win you games, but I, I mean, he's solid. You know, you, you're definitely going to be drafting if he's going to be playing. So, Jimmy Graham had a terrible season last season, but he had a very good season this year. Second best tight end. But I will say this was not a great year for tight ends. Like this wasn't a year where a tight end was going to carry your team. So Jimmy Graham, 65 catches, 923 yards, six touchdowns. It's, it's good, but it's like, like Doug Baldwin's numbers are way better than that. So it's like, right. the, the the like first through six best tight ends weren't really that difference, but Jimmy Graham was absolutely good, but he's not, he's not winning you any leagues and their defense was 11th best, absolutely playable. But again, it's, it's not going to win you anything. Yeah. I think my, my challenge with, with the Seahawks in fantasy is I always end up with so many Seahawks fans in my fantasy leagues that they're just like way over priced that that just any Seahawk gets gets way overbid because people well, see maybe that's why I won your league because they like overbid on these players who weren't very Absolutely. good no it's a it's a great advantage if you don't give a shit about Seahawk players uh yeah I mean Seahawks are sort of maybe to compare it to the first part of our double header where the Giants had one very very good player but not a whole lot else the Seahawks have a lot of middle of the road players fantasy wise, but not that one star that's like the must own on every fantasy team. Yeah. Um, and I do think like whoever they've, they have at running back is usually going to be pretty decent. Was well, not true last year. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Um, yeah. I, uh, what did I give the giants? Five out of 10. I'll say five out of 10 again, but for different reasons. Okay. Five out of 10, Joe, five out of 10. And now, Number eight, is the owner a monster? So who's the owner of the Seattle Seahawks, Joe? Paul Allen. Paul Allen. And Paul Allen has some very, very interesting things about him. First of all, do you know the like most, well, it's hard to even say what's the most interesting fact, but do you know a fact about Paul Allen in terms of his comparison to other NFL owners? 
Is he the richest NFL owner? He sure is, Joe. Paul Allen is the richest NFL owner with a net worth of $18.6 billion. If you take the number two and the number three owner by net worth, Stan Kroenke of the Rams and Stephen Ross of the Dolphins and add them together, it's still less than Paul Allen. So he is rich. He owns other teams. He's he, like he's like 20 Dean Spanoses. He could buy and sell Dean Spanos and not even give a shit. He has a yacht worth more than Dean Spanos. So he owns the Seahawks, he owns the Portland Trailblazers, and he's a partial owner, but not the main owner, of your beloved Seattle Sounders. Paul Allen purchased the Seattle Seahawks in 1996 when former owner Ken Bayring threatened to move the Seahawks to Southern California. What a surprise. It sounds a lot like a lot of, uh, or sounds a lot like the uh, Supersonics. Herman Sarkowski, a former Seahawks minor- minority owner, told the Seattle Times about Allen's decision to buy the team. I'm not sure anybody else in this community would have done what Allen did. He saved the Seahawks from moving. He basically, Paul Allen was like, I'm rich. I made my money in Seattle. I'm going to keep the team here. That was his first foray into owning professional sports teams, and he sort of did it, I, I mean, to for the community. Right, right. Paul Allen is a huge political donor, as you'd imagine, for somebody of his wealth. He donates mostly to Democrats, but he literally donates to everybody. Like, he is the Donald Trump model of they call, I give them money. He's an absolute massive philanthropist, as you'd imagine, for somebody of his wealth and somebody connected to to Bill Gates. He's signed the Giving Pledge, so he's promised to give at least half of his fortune to philanthropic causes. He's given more than $2 billion towards the advancements of science, technology, education, wildlife conservation, the arts, and community services. He's received commendations for his philanthropic commitments, including the Andrew Carnegie Medal of Philanthropy and Inside Philanthropies, a magazine I subscribe to, of course. He won their Philanthropist (laughs) of the Year, and he won it recently in no small part because in 2014... Paul Allen pledged $100 million towards the fight to end the Ebola virus epidemic in West Africa, making him the largest private donor for the Ebola crisis. So, for other information about Paul Allen, he has never been married and has no children. And to quote his Wikipedia page, though I don't want to be judgmental, this is just what it said, he has been at times reclusive. I don't know what that means. You know, to him, I've never met him. He sounds like a nice guy. He loves owning big yachts. He has the 14th largest yacht in the world called Octopus. At the launch of this 414-foot yacht, which also includes a two helicopter pads and two helicopters, a submarine, an ROV, I don't even know what that is, a swimming pool, a music studio, and a basketball court on his yacht. He has multiple yachts in the top 100 yachts but that's his biggest yacht he likes going treasure hunting in his yachts that's a pastime for him he attempted twice and eventually succeeded in recovering the bell i don't know what that even is from the hms hood a ship that sank in world war ii in the bering strait the what they recovered is now restored and on display in the national museum of the royal navy paul allen is a fucking awesome guy We got an email from 
Andy, who you may or may not know, I don't know, who sent an article, uh, who sent a cut to me, a couple of news articles about Paul Allen was buying a bunch of real estate in Seattle, as rich people are wont to do, and effectively... The article were like sad pieces about how these like beloved neighborhood institutions are getting sort of pushed out of their leases to make way for like new development. And the articles tug at the heartstrings and they all blame Paul Allen because Paul Allen's like real estate company is who's what's buying the land. But I'm sure Paul Allen himself, well, maybe Paul Allen is making the decisions, but. That's like the whole gentrification is bad argument. And I would argue that sometimes gentrification can be good. Well, and certainly gentrification is not Paul Allen's fault. It's interesting. So first of all, a couple things. Paul Allen actually owns a yacht that is bigger than a football field. That's correct. <laughs> it is 414 feet long. So, so he is, I mean, at what point do we just say he owns a small cruise ship. Like where does yacht become? Well, you're I mean, a, his yacht you're a, has a submarine. <laughs> you're a nautical person at what, like what makes it a yacht at a certain size? Is it not just like an, a shipping vessel? If, if a, if a helicopter lands on it, when does it become an aircraft carrier? Like what, <laughs> what are, are these, are these strictly size distinctions or are they about the shape or whatever? I guarantee you an aircraft carrier could eat his yacht and not give a fuck. An aircraft carrier have nuclear reactors on board. I'm sure his yacht does not. My boat is not a yacht. My boat is a piece of shit. So I think in order for it to be a yacht, you have to like go on it and it has to like, I think it has to, when you get on the boat, you have to like get on it and be like, wow, this is nice. How many how many millions of dollars you have to earn before they send you automatic subscriptions to Yacht Magazine and Philanthropist Magazine? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I can tell you a few million dollars is not enough. This guy's Paul Allen's coffee table material is so different from mine. I think Paul Allen is so interesting as NFL owner because he is the only NFL owner where the NFL team he owns and it's gain in value or its loss in value is meaningless to him. It's Completely. a rounding error. It makes no difference to him whether the Seahawks he I think he literally was like, oh, they're gonna move the Seahawks. I don't oh, want them sure, to I'll do that. Them. I'll buy them. Give me them. Uh yeah, you know, um oh he owns Vulcan Capital. Yeah, they are really bad. Uh yeah, he owns Vulcan Capital. That's yeah. his thing. Yeah, That's the articles not- that Andy sent me. Yeah, they're not a great developer. Uh, all right. Well, anyway. Oh, recent investments include Redfin. I love Redfin. Um, Paul Allen is really well-liked in the city of Seattle. Uh, did I already mention, of course, he's a co-founder of Microsoft. That's where his wealth comes from. It's not from his parents. Though also, I think some of that comes from Ticketmaster, which is pretty evil. So. I assure you, 99% of his wealth <laughs> is from Microsoft. Ticketmaster is a fucking rounding error on his... His docket. Look, Paul Allen is well liked. Any owner who helps save a team, especially given my recent history, is certainly very likable in my book. You know, he's a super rich guy with investments. So even and don't diminish the, the Ebola thing. When the Ebola thing was happening, he just gave money and money and money to like help support people on the front line of that crisis. Yeah. 
that's the ultimate good guy rich thing to do is be like governments are not doing this thing properly i'm gonna help them like who's a better nfl owner i don't i don't even know tell me i guess you like the eagles owner well that, that guy went to brandeis yes yeah, he's not he's not going to be the eagles owner what did he get he got a 10 out of 10 eagles owner got 10 out of 10 all right we'll give paul allen a 9 out of 10 all right i love it okay number nine rate the uniform and the logo so the seahawks are our third bird logo we've already talked about the eagles we've talked about the falcons so how were the seahawks named well there were 1700 names submitted in a name the team contest in 1975 including the skippers the pioneers the lumberjacks and the seagulls but about 150 people suggested the seahawks a Seattle minor league hockey team and Miami's franchise in the All-America Football Conference both used the, both used the nickname in the 1950s. It suggests aggressiveness, reflects our soaring Northwest heritage, and belongs to no other major league team. And thus, they picked the Seahawks. The Seahawks helmet design is a stylized head of an osprey, a fish-eating hawk of the Northwest. Yeah, as far as bird mascots go, it's worth noting the osprey is a real bird, but the seahawk isn't like an official name of an actual bird. It's not like a falcon or a eagle or whatever. So seahawks kind of made up. They do have a hawk at the actual seahawk games, but I don't know if it's a, if it's a osprey or not. But um, yeah, I mean, I think a seahawk would win in in a fight with some birds. I don't think it would beat the falcon, but well, with that, nothing beats. Look, it's not going to be a falcon. It's not going to be an eagle. We right. know eagle is number two. Falcon is number one due to its speed index. Although, when I go to Philadelphia, maybe Elizabeth, the ornithology PhD, can weigh in on the Seahawks situation. Wait, is she, is she going to be there? Well, I'm. Not, she might not be there, but we might be able to dial her in in the live podcast. Well, I guess a Bengal is like, a Bengal is like a, a mammal, so she's not going to be helpful for that. Are there any other birds we're doing? I mean, we, we might just have to bring her on for a bird. Yeah, just, well, yeah, we're doing the... Like when we get to the Sweet 16, just bring her on. We're doing the oh, Cardinal, Cardinal I mean, yeah. definitely. Yeah, there are some bird mascots yet to talk Baltimore about. Baltimore Orioles, Toronto Blue Jays. Wait, Toronto Blue Jays? Wrong sport. I know both of these are the wrong sport, but look at that. They're the... Orioles used to fly by my house and on, land on my trees all the time. But you, you mentioned Baltimore, but listed the, the Baltimore Raven, another bird. Oh, the Raven. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, look. Um, We're losing the thread of the podcast here. I really like the Seahawk logo. I like the Seahawk color. color. I know I always do this, but I love the Color Rush logo, too. I love... Joe, before you even give their score, I just want to say, I love the Seahawk colors. I love their color rush. I love everything about them. I love their helmets. I think the Seahawks, even like their their whites are amazing. Their color are amazing. Like the like subtleness, it's it's sort of like it it's like blue and then that like green. It's just it's like the subtlety of the colors because it's like, you know, the Giants, which you didn't like before, where the red, white, and blue, it's all these colors that are contrasting. It's like the Seahawks are the opposite. They're all these like complementary colors that sort of join together. Right. And and I mean to get like a little bit a little bit about like equity here, like I like that the logo is an homage to 
Seattle's Native American history. Well, not because it it is obviously inspired by the art of the region, like sort of like going in the opposite direction of the Washington Football Club of like of like the not like it's actually a, a respectful nod to that history. Not so you really not, have to bring them into this show. It, look, it's I mean that's definitely going to factor into their score. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, no, um, they have great. Great jersey, great helmet, great logo. Uh, not the toughest bird. Uh, the Chargers, what do the Chargers get in this category? So the Chargers and the Falcons each registered an eight in this category, and those are your highest scores. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go eight. I like it, Joe. They, they get great uniforms. Number 10, do they play a style of play you'd enjoy watching? Now... I assume you've probably watched more Seahawks games than I have, but I'll just give you the general gist on their DVOA last year, though. Again, when you're looking at the Seahawks, I think you're really looking at them in terms of the past five or six years. Last year, their offense was average in the NFL. Their DVOA, they were 17th, and their defense was fifth best. When they were in the Super Bowl era, their defense was the best defense in the NFL and and people could argue is historically good I mean when Earl Thomas got hurt last year it really hurt the defense a lot but they the Seahawks still were like a force to be record they, they still won a playoff game you know Russell Wilson was hurt too but when Seattle was at its apex when they made the Super Bowl twice and should have won both times the offense and the defense were both incredibly dynamic. Like the defense was incredible and the offense, you had Russell Wilson who was running and passing and, and Russell Wilson just doesn't run as much this year. And, and and not to say he couldn't, I mean, not to say it's not based on his injuries, but I think the team was certainly much less dynamic this year on offense than it was in years past. And they weren't as great on defense, but, Look, at the end of the day, they made the playoffs and they won a playoff game. So what the hell do you want from them? I think that this category is a little bit um, ephemeral when you're talking about teams that have had like a lot of turnover in their coaching staff. But when you talk about the Seattle style of play right now, and I mean, frankly, for this, the foreseeable future, they're, they're a Pete Carroll team. They're they're pretty fun to watch. They're scrappy. They have a really shut down defense, and I think to your point, like other than this year, they've had a a pretty good offense too. I think it's a great style of play. I think um, you know um, it'll be interesting to see going forward because I think that the Seahawks really benefited for a few years by. The salary cap rules. Well, they certainly benefited by having Russell Wilson on that rookie contract, right? And so it'll be interesting to see how they how they do going forward paying Russell Wilson. I mean, there's obviously you know a lot of talk this year about if Richard Sherman's going to still be on the team and all sorts of other things. So it's like, uh, you know, what what will the core of the team look like and how will that affect the style of play? But overall, I think it's an exciting style of play. I think it's an exciting an exciting enough offense and and a very, very exciting defense. Let's go 8 out of 10. 
Eight out of ten. I love the score, and I want to bring back one thing from I believe Rob had mentioned this many weeks past. You live on the West Coast, Joe. The Seattle Seahawks will almost exclusively play the afternoon game in the NFL slate. They play the early game sometimes when they travel east, but right. although they're not traveling to St. Louis anymore. so Rob did make a good point about how you watch a team when you want to watch a team. One annoying thing about the Seahawks is because I live in the city, so I like to watch it on the NFL Sunday ticket, and I like to watch games sometimes on my TV, but sometimes on my computer, on my iPad, like sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, Dan, like it's stupid that I can't watch that, that the least convenient game for me to watch is the game in the city that I live in. You have to watch it on your TV. Yeah. Dan, I have three kids. Do you know how hard it is for me to watch a game on my TV? I have to go hide in my basement with my iPad so I can watch TV. But now you have that new basement. Yeah. I'm still gonna have to hide there. How hard is it going to be for me to like have kids and then teach them to love sports? Is that just not going to be a, in a, not going to be possible? It's just you have to wait till the right age. I mean, they're not going to like it when they're four. Yeah, super boring. And football's not even going to exist by the time they're adults. Well, no, it'll just be played with robots. <laughs> Number eleven. What is interesting about this fan base? Well, Joe, you are amongst this fan base every day and i'll tell you whenever i fly into seattle i feel somewhat inundated by this fan base i you can't walk one gate in the terminal without seeing a number you know a 12th man flag what's interesting about this fan base joe to carson's point about seattle stealing the 12th man thing from texas like who cares about that if you ask anyone in the country the twelfth man, they're going to say Seattle. Like yeah. they made it their own. It doesn't matter. They still and in fact, I mean the fact that they built a stadium that did like echo the sound down. Like you got to give props for that. Totally. I mean, no, Carson I, is like I think glossing over the fact that the stadium was designed for crowd noise, and that crowd noise is an advantage, and that's awesome. Right, but it's not like they're pumping. No, I mean at 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 Seahawks games, they literally, you know how like stadiums have the scoreboards for different things, like how many first downs, whatever. They have a tracker for the number of offsides that the opposite team has, and people get so excited because because the fans. I don't know if this is like if this statistically bears out, but there's at least a sense in the stadium that you are part of the game because your job when the other team is on offense is to try and get them to go off sides. I mean, I haven't looked at the stat, but I have. I would not be shocked at all if Seattle was number one in that statistic. I mean, based on my viewing of NFL games, it seems like the home field advantage in Seattle is legit. Right, right. So that's great. And like around the city, I mean, you know, they like at most workplaces, there's like Seahawk Friday and it happens year round, not just during the season. People love the Seahawks. And, and I had some bad years here too when they weren't winning Super Bowls and and winning playoff games and people seem to love the Seahawks even in the downturns though not as fervently but I think that that like is 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 only natural um I mean I think the one obnoxious thing about Seahawks fans and maybe this is just living here like they're very cocky about the team like you know if if the Seahawks win the first game of the season you'll have people saying we're definitely going to go 19 and 0 this is the best team of all time and they will say that without any 
like hesitancy or humility. They'll just believe that to be totally true. But wouldn't you love your team? It, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine, Joe, because we're like, we're both fans of, well, formerly fans in your side and me personally fan of team that always suck, like always right. losing the playoffs. Right. right. Wouldn't it be fun to have a team that you're like, they just have to make it to the playoffs and they're going to do their thing and they're going to be great. And it's like, if you win the first game of the year, you're probably going to make the playoffs more likely than not. And certainly if you win the first two games of the year, I mean, wouldn't it be yeah. fun to root for a team that was actually good? They made the playoffs six of the last seven years and they've won a playoff game six of the last seven years. That's incredible. It would be fun. I don't even know what That's it's incredible, like. That's incredible, Joe. I don't even know what it's like. I don't even know if the Patriots can claim that because they always get the bye. That's a, that doesn't count as a win. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much the Seahawks are helped by the fact that they haven't gotten. Yeah, that they phoned it in during the. <laughs> right, uh, right. All right, I've got the stats, Joe. I've got the stats. Breaking news! Breaking news! The <laughs> Patriots have won a playoff game in each of the last six years, and if you go back before that, seven, eight, and nine years ago, they've won zero playoff games, but they've won at least one playoff game in the last six years. So that's pretty great. <laughs> so look, uh, I think the Seahawks have a great fan base. I am oftentimes jealous of all my friends who can be part of that experience. A little cocky. I mean, I think Karsten has some points about like some of the lore around the sound and the earthquake is like a little bit exaggerated, but it's, it's, it's just a fun team, and and Seattle is such a sports-loving town, and they love the Seahawks so much out here. So I think it's a great fan base, has a has a solid culture, and I think, I mean, the thing that, even even the bad fan culture, I think that the teams that get a decent rating with fan culture are the ones that at least have a fan culture. Yeah. There's something unique about them that I would rather root for a team that has angry fans or militant fans or bottle throwing fans or you know booing at santa fans whatever as long as it's some culture versus the sort of like oh there's nothing unique about the tampa bay buck fans right okay so seahawks are definitely unique and i think unique in a pretty positive way eight and a half eight and a half boom and finally joe one twenty in the morning <laughs> to be fair it's very late we had that earlier drink, and I'm sick, and I'm hopped up on Dayquil. Joe, what do you think about that Rainier beer? It is not it is not working for me right now, and I like Rainier beer, but this is getting a three out of ten. Three out of ten. It's. I'll save it for you. <laughs> I can't wait to have it next time I go. So, Joe, Ugh. that puts Seattle much to Carson's chagrin. And Aaron's, I guess, mid-level delight at 72, which we've got your lowest or your highest no is 65. You've got two maybes at 62. You've got maybes at 71. You've got maybes at 69. We're at 72 here, Joe. Just give me a maybe. Give me a maybe. I think the Seahawks have to move on. Absolutely. Boom. This is good though. This is I like this in a doubleheader. We have one reject, one moving on. We we have the whole range of human emotions. 
Okay, everybody, as we close out our business tonight in this such a long doubleheader, it's so deep into the night. It's so late. If you have feedback, oh, we're not picking a new team out of the random hat because the team we're doing is going to be the Cincinnati Bengals, and we're doing it live in Philadelphia at the NFL Draft with Superfan Tony. But send in your Bengal thoughts. If you are a listener of this podcast and you want to connect with Superfan Tony, you want to diss the Bengals or you want to support the Bengals, please send your feedback to NFL at JoePicksPod.com. All right, Joe, what a doubleheader. Dan, let's just do a third one right now. (laughs) Bang out the Bengals right now. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Why not? My kids are going to wake up soon anyway. What a doubleheader. See you soon. See you uh, you in a few days with Tony. Good night, Dan.